welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. When blank happens, or as the saying goes, when it happens. When it happens, pain, tragedy, loss, suffering, grief, trauma. It happens. Whether it's something that people know about or not, whether it's something that was in the past or in the present right now, whether it was hurt from somebody you know, a loved one, someone close to you, or perhaps a stranger, whether it was because of something someone did intentionally, something foolish someone, something did, some, someone uh, evil, or perhaps just circumstance or accident. Maybe it was like an earthquake event, or maybe just a thousand little cuts. Whether it was something physical, emotional, psychological, relational, spiritual, or perhaps a combination where it started out as something physical and now it's become something emotional or mental or vice versa. Whatever it is, we have all experienced it in some shape or form. Whether we are aware of it or acknowledge it or not, to ourselves or the people around us. When I say when, when it happens, in other words, it is inevitable. At some point, if you live long enough, we will experience pain, suffering, loss, tragedy, trauma. Some of us are aware of it, have talked about it, can speak openly about it. Others of us, maybe we're unaware we've even sustained those things. But the reality is, it will happen if it hasn't already to us or to the people we love. And it doesn't, uh, it's not helpful, I think, to compare one person's pain to another's, ours to someone else. Someone said to me once, pain is like a gas. It fills whatever size vessel it is. So it's not helpful necessarily to think, well, I went through something worse than that person. Or even to say, as we maybe are more likely to do, well, I don't have it as bad, or I can't really complain. Pain, suffering, loss is an inevitable part of our reality as human beings. And I say, and we say when it happens, when blank happens, whatever that is, happens, because in a sense, it always feels sudden, doesn't it? That moment of betrayal when we find out suddenly feels so uh, immediate, like sudden, it had just happened to us. Even for those of us that have walked alongside and watched loved ones suffer for a long period of time, the moment of their passing still feels sudden. Things come upon us quickly, and maybe we expect a certain amount of pain or suffering, but not that, not this. Couples don't say, I do, thinking about the day when one or both of them will say, I'm done. In a sense, the pain, the suffering, the loss, the tragedy comes upon us suddenly. Or at the very least, we think, well, I thought this might happen, but not that, or I didn't think it would go on 
for so long. This is true and a reality for every one of us. And when blank happens, there are added complications for people of faith, right? Whether you're in the room today and you consider yourself a person of faith, a follower of Jesus, or perhaps you're exploring, you're here in some way because you know, God in your life is important to you or you're trying to figure out whether it is. And this is to say, when, when stuff happens in our lives, when the pain, the tragedy, the loss, the trauma, the suffering, there's added complications for people of faith because we believe in and worship and pray to a God who is good and powerful who wants to do good and is able to do good, right? And words like prayer, healing, miracles, believe, faith are all part of the life of faith. And yet when suffering comes, when pain comes, those words get more complicated. They feel heavier. They sometimes even do damage when others say them to us. For people of faith, there's added complications because we believe like the life of faith is a good life and suffering doesn't fit somehow in the story. And so we're actually taking time over these next seven weeks to wade into the problem of pain, the questions of when blank happens to you, to the loved ones you're with, to people in a community, in a family. And we need to wrestle with God through the pain and suffering. When that happens, what do we do? We have lots of questions. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to take time to get into these questions together. It's a series, to be honest, that I've been wanting to do for a long time, but didn't want to do either. You know, early on in my ministry, I would say I didn't really understand pain and suffering at all. In fact, and the reason I'll tell you I, I didn't understand it was I thought I understood it. <laughs> I had all the answers. If someone would say, well, if God is good, why would he allow this? I would have an answer, an explanation for God or for what someone was going, or I would have some advice on here's what you need to do. And the longer I have journeyed, primarily because of journeying with people, many of whom are a part of our congregation and family, people I've just gotten to meet in our community over the years of being a pastor, we start to realize, I start to realize, I don't know anything. I don't understand this. I have lots of questions. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of mystery. There is wrestling. And yet I believe that God's timing is a thing. <laughs> that us going through this series right now is no accident for any of us in the room. And I've been praying that wherever you happen to be, right, because this is a universal human experience, whether a personal one or, you know, someone close to us, that it is a personal existential issue for each of us, not just that it raises theological questions about God, but there are practical questions and philosophical questions and real questions about ourselves, about God, about life, about each other. And my prayer is that this will land at the right time for you and for us as a community. And that as we go through this, since this is inevitable for all of us, that we will learn and grow and how to live as a community of faith with God and with each other. And that we will have some bit of peace, grace, healing, and hope to offer to a world of hurt around us. As a, as a starting point, <laughs> I think uh, we need to be honest about the fact that to some degree, and maybe this is unique to those of us who live in the West, we see suffering as an alien invasion. 
And like, I mean, you know, the bad uh, B movie, alien movie, where suddenly someone hears about some strange thing that happened to someone, and now it happens to another person. Then we realize the aliens have invaded. These things, these beings that don't belong on our good planet Earth have invaded and want to take over our good story. And so the people of good planet Earth need to fight back, fight the aliens, and rid the world and send them away, send them back to where they came from so that we can continue on in our good and beautiful story here on Earth. And that is how we tend to see suffering, as an alien invasion, as something that has come in on us that doesn't belong and somehow we cannot live well and we cannot live good and the story can't be good unless these things are rid from the story because they can't be part of it if it's a good story. We come by that honestly in many ways because we live in the West. We live in a continent that was founded upon the dream, upon the hopes, upon the idea of a better life. And maybe you or your parents or your parents' parents and certainly the founders of our nation and the nation to the South came here for a better life, for opportunity, for success, so that you can have the things that you want to have and house and home and clothing and family and life and opportunity and success and the money you make doesn't have to go to the king. You get to keep it for yourself. Um, and that the problems that we face can be uh, overcome with science and study and innovation, that any sickness or illness, the, a cure can be found, that any sort of plague or pestilence or something wrong in the world, we just need a think tank and we need the right amount of money and the right people and we can solve it because we were meant to have success and happiness. And suffering and pain and loss and tragedy when, and obstacles when it comes in feels like an alien invasion to the Western ideal, to the dream. And of course, as I said, for Christians, we buy into that form of Western spirit, Christian spirituality that says, no, like God is good, which means the story is good, which means suffering can't be a part of a good story, right? And yet one of the things I think to realize, maybe it's comforting, maybe it's not comforting for you, is that suffering is a part of the story, of every story, including the biblical one. Um, it's not an alien invasion. <clears throat> it's actually very human. The writers of the Bible, it would seem, uh, are very familiar with suffering. In fact, when I was looking for a passage for us to go through um, today, the challenge was not finding a passage. The challenge was which one to pick among the hundreds and hundreds of verses and stories and teaching and account about human loss, pain, tragedy, suffering, trauma, which at the very least tells us that the writers of the Bible are not naive are not disconnected, and God himself not disconnected from the human situation. We don't have to look far in scripture at all. And where we landed, uh, where we landed today and what we're going to read together is from actually a section of scripture called the Wisdom Books. Um, and later on in the service today, you're going to find out um, information about how you can, and we as a church are going to start a new Bible reading plan together using the Bible app that will begin actually with the Wisdom Books. And one of the books in this collection of, of the Wisdom Books, so the Wisdom Books are a collection of books within the Bible, but one of the Wisdom Books is called Ecclesiastes. And it's written, we don't actually know who it's written by. We think it might be written by King Solomon, who was Israel's third king, who lived about 1,000 years BC, so 3,000 years ago. Um, but he calls himself the teacher. And he's writing, and it's wisdom in a sense of not like, hey, do this, don't do that, or whatever, some of that. But most of it is just his observations after living life for a long time. 
looking back on all that he had learned, all that he had seen, all that he had experienced. He was a studier, he was a reader, he was an observer of people, and he had had many experiences himself. And as he looked back on life, what his observation was uh, about, in particular, suffering and pain, not as an alien invasion, but actually as a common and very heavy part of everyday life. And I want you to listen to just a collection of verses from his writings in the book of Ecclesiastes on what the teacher, this person who lived 3,000 years ago, what his observations were about what he had seen and what he had experienced in life. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. Again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power, and their victims are helpless. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And this, too, is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. I have seen everything in this meaningless life, including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and the people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. <laughs> is that depressing or maybe strangely comforting? I mean, maybe you didn't know that was in the Bible. Maybe you've never read it. Maybe you don't like to read it that much for obvious reasons. It's certainly probably not tattooed on your body somewhere or put up in a vinyl verse on the wall. And it's not a verse of the day usually, right? What is it? It's a man wrestling with God through pain and suffering. That's what it is, right? It is someone honestly wrestling in the presence of God and writing to a community of faith about the reality of pain and suffering that he had experienced and he had seen in human existence. And just even in these short verses, like just as you think about what he was unpacking of what he saw in life and think about how much this resonates with what we see, right? He's kind of saying like, you can't go back in time and you can't change painful events. You can't take back stuff that was done. You usually can't get back stuff that was lost, can you? That's what he's saying. So much of what was done to us can't be taken back. And then he talks about how you've seen oppression and injustice, that powerful people use their power to oppress others, and those who are oppressed are weak and trampled down, and they can't get out from underneath it. It just keeps going. 
<laughs> he makes an observation that we lose over time or in the end, whatever we have gained in life, whatever we've worked for, striven for, whatever we start to lose it over time, whether it's our health or our wealth or our relationships or whatever, or even our mind, our mental capacities, we start to lose over time or in the end, everything that we worked so hard during all of life to get and to keep. And therefore he says, we all live under frustration, discouragement, and anger for most of our life, right? Doesn't that mark our human existence? Isn't that what life feels like so often, either for ourselves or the people around us? And then he's very honest about God and God's role in all this. He's like, how, how, how come good people die early or young and wicked people just seem to live on forever and ever, right? The wrong ones are dying, God. Life seems so unfair. In one sense, it seems random. It seems like it doesn't matter what you do in life. It's not like if you do good, things will be good for you and you'll get good and God will bless you. It doesn't seem to be like that, at least not what I've seen. This, these are his observations after many, many years. And man, in some shape or form, we probably resonate with it. You probably didn't know you could say this stuff in church to God in the presence of God, about God. This is a man for whom the neat categories of life are blown up. They don't work anymore. The rules that he probably thought he learned when he was young and how to live life and what, you know, why, how to get blessing and how to be good. And if you do this, then God will do this. And he's coming to the end of his life saying, you know what, that stuff doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to be true. Or I don't know what the rules are anymore because everything, as he says, seems meaningless, random, difficult, painful. This is life. You know, we as Christians refer to the scriptures as truth, and it is. But another word for truth, in fact, the Greek word aletheia, um, it means reality. Reality. And that's part of what he's saying here, right? The teacher here is saying, can I just be honest with what I really see, what's really going on in my life and in the world around us. And I think if nothing else we can conclude, at least as a starting point for where we even begin this wrestling, is that the people of faith, the people of God are not immune from pain and suffering and loss and grief and trauma. We're not immune, but we also don't need to be silent about it. We can be and need to be honest about it and open about it. That church, in a sense, if I can say this, maybe you didn't know this. Church is not a place to pretend that everything's fine. Church is not a place to hide our troubles because we're supposed to be full of faith or we're supposed to be blessed because we're people of God. Church is not a place we pretend that our marriages and our health and our bodies and our finances and what we're thinking and what we're feeling and what's going on in our world and our temptations and the things done to us or whatever are things to be put aside because this is a place, you know, to be happy or to be peaceful or to be spiritually positive, <laughs> right? If nothing else, Ecclesiastes and the teacher is saying, hey, I'll tell you what's real. And if we're going to be uh, people of truth, we need to be real with what's going on in our lives and what's going on in the world around us. Let's just let that sit for a second. And actually, before we kind of keep going, before we continue to wrestle, even in this message and really over these next few weeks, and even just in this moment, we want to do something now that we're going to try to do hopefully every week during this series 
something that is a, is a core practice uh, for the people of faith, but it's something maybe we've lost over the last several hundred years. We don't do much of anymore. It is the practice of silence. Silence, don't, don't worry, just for three minutes. <laughs> but the practice of silence is something so appropriate in the light of or wrestling with heavy things. In fact, we do this from time to time in our culture when someone's passed away or when, you know, recently was the anniversary of 9-11. I was watching the football game on that evening and they, what did they do? They took a moment of silence. And we just don't do it enough. But I want to give you a few minutes today to be silent as really one of the most appropriate things that we can do when we come face to face with things we don't understand, which heavy things that we don't understand. And maybe in this time of silence for you, it's just going to be a chance to be more honest with some of the pain and loss and struggle and emotions around that that you feel or maybe that you felt like you couldn't bring in today or you really haven't given yourself time to acknowledge at all. Maybe it's confessing that you are someone who doesn't like to think about this, that you head the other direction when you see other people in pain or you just don't, you don't want to hear about it because you don't know what to do about it. You feel paralyzed about it. Maybe perhaps you feel like you've given out advice or whatever that isn't, doesn't work or is hurtful in that. Maybe it's just a chance to take a few minutes to realize that God sees you. Like if this is included in scripture, is this, if this is part of stuff that we pray to and talk to God about, that in the silence you just recognize God sees you in your situation and your pain, the trauma, the difficulty, the emotions. Or maybe you just, it'll be a chance to just sit and feel the weight of these questions, the theological ones, the philosophical ones, the existential ones, the practical ones, to feel the weight of being in a community that has suffering and pain and loss, to feel the weight of living in a world where this is the everyday reality for many, many people. So we're gonna sit and uh, over the next three minutes, the scriptures that I've just read for you, we'll just slowly scroll through. We don't often not just be silent, but reflect on some of the difficult things <laughs> that come up. And to just be okay with some of the stuff that comes up for you as you sit in these three minutes in the presence of God and with your brothers and sisters in the family.
if nothing else, this teacher, this writer, is being honest, right? Honest about the pain and despair and the questions. Honest and also, in a sense, giving us permission to say these things out loud, to talk about them in church, to reflect on them, to linger on them, to not rush past them or push them aside for ourselves or for other people. Honesty and permission. And, you know, 3,000 years later, the poets and the artists and the writers are doing that. Maybe this generation of songwriters and filmmakers and artists are as honest as they've come in the last many years, giving, being honest with the pain and the trouble and the tragedy, and people writing about their own experiences. The songs are not just about sex, drugs, and rock and roll anymore. It's about the honest uh, trouble and tragedy and despair that's on the inside. There is honesty, and the poets and the writers and the philosophers bring that to the forefront, don't they? And they also give permission for us to be honest, and that's part of why we like art like that, or we read that, or there's some strange comfort even in reading these words today. And the teacher says, this is meaningless. In other words, I don't get this. He keeps saying, all of this is meaningless. That's one of the most recurring words in the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't get this. This is meaningless. It doesn't make sense to me. God, why? Explain. I can't understand. Honesty and permission. These are good things. But can I just say this? Honesty without hope. Permission to express these things without direction for what to do with them, ultimately leads to despair and confusion and lostness, right? Honesty, but no hope. I'm going to be honest about the pain, but what, that leaves me hopeless. I'm going to give you permission to bleed, to be honest, and, and to, to say what you think and feel, but where is the direction for what do I do with this? Without hope, without direction, we have despair, lostness, and confusion. And yet this was all that the teacher 3,000 years ago could give his disciples. Until about 1,000 years after him, another teacher came. And this teacher not only talked about pain and suffering and loss and grief, he himself suffered immensely. In fact, one of the prophets long before he came described him as the suffering servant. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Son of God, did not just talk about what to do in trials, what to do when you're facing enemies and pressure and hostility. He lived it. And, and I want you to think about, you know, we have four biographies of his life, and we often read them or can be tempted to read them as, oh, this is God in a bod, you know, like Son of God just barely touching earth, pretty much floating above the earth and going through it. But I want you to think about his story through the lens of the human experience. These are all the things, and whether you've read and familiar with his stories and biographies or not, if you're not, I'd encourage you to go read them. But just a sampling of his life, Think, listen to this in terms of what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, experienced as a human being. He was misunderstood often. People accusing him of things he didn't say, twisting his words. And he was sometimes made fun of, at times from his own family, like misunderstood from his own brothers, his own mother at times, kind of mocked or made fun of by his brothers. 
when he first preached in his hometown and they were so happy to have him, by the time he was done the sermon, the people were so angry with what he said. They literally tried to throw him off a cliff. His hometown, people he had grown up with, people who knew him, his neighbors, extended family. Jesus was poor. He was from a poor family. At times he was on the run, you know, avoided certain places because he knew people were out to get him or in some cases trying to kill him or trap him in his words, put him in prison. He was betrayed by two of his closest friends right on the eve of his death. He was abandoned by all the rest of the friends. He was mocked and beaten in front of a group of people, blindfolded. Eventually he was stripped nearly naked and exposed in public. A kind of, you know, physical, sexual abuse almost. Exposed as a human being, made fun of, clothes taken off him. He was beaten. In his hour of need, most of the people around him just made fun of him, gloated over him. And he was crucified. Physically killed in one of the most painful ways to die. Friends, Jesus himself, in his life, experienced so much physical, emotional, relational, psychological, spiritual pain. And on the cross, as he's dying, he cries out to God in the same way, with the same words that you and I do. Why? And where are you? Your Savior, your King, your Lord, your God did not stay up there, up in the heavens, in the comforts and riches of heaven, above the human experience, above human suffering, too good for it, too disconnected from it, too spiritual for it. No, friends, he came down into our world. And as if that weren't enough, he lived life in our shoes with the limitations of the human body and under the pressure and, and, and weight and hurt of pain and suffering and loss. Do you realize this? That you worship a God who is scarred. You worship a God who is scarred. Friends, this is unique in all world religions, in all worldviews. No other worldview or religion has at its center a God who has scars. And I don't mean scars like, you know, Captain America, where after like a 30-minute fight and being thrown off uh, a building and landing on a car and being punched in the face so many times, he has a strategically placed scar that's got a little bit of red so we know it's serious, but man, Chris Evans still looked really good and he still looks really powerful. No. Your God, our Savior, scars bled him out to death. They were real. At the center of our faith, is a cross on which the God of the universe died for us and experienced the culminating act of an experience of a life of pain, suffering, hardship, trauma, abuse, and loss. And you might say, okay, well, that, that gives us more permission to be honest about pain and suffering, gives us the ability to be honest with ourselves and each other in the room of faith, yes, but this same Lord and Savior and teacher, the night before he was going to experience this death, he says to his disciples, hey, in this life, you will have trouble. It was a promise. 
kind of like, it's going to happen. In this life, you will have trouble. If it happened to me, it's going to happen to you. You're not immune from it. Neither am I. And if I'm not, you're not. But take heart. In other words, have hope. I have overcome. He wasn't just honest with them about what they would face. He gave them hope. He didn't just give them permission to be real about their pain and loss and know it's coming. It's not an alien invasion. It's part of the human experience. He gave them direction. Trust in me. I have overcome. And those same scars that were on his hands and feet from which blood flowed and eventually caused his death, a few days after he died, as he rose from the dead and came back to his disciples, the same ones who abandoned him, the same ones who he told, you're going to have trouble in this life, but trust in me, take heart, I have overcome. It's one of the most beautiful uh, parts of the Jesus story. At the end of it, it says when he appeared to the disciples, he showed them his scars and he explained to them why he had to suffer. The scars weren't good. The scars were symbols of one of the greatest evil things that human beings have ever done, to kill the Son of God, to kill the one who had given his life for others, the one who had been kind and humble and serving the poor and the needy, who had given himself away, who refused to seize power or use others, was eventually crushed and killed by power, by injustice, was a victim of injustice. That's what the scars meant. But in the end, Jesus says, I have overcome. And friends, here's what this means. That when it happens in our lives, whether it has already, whether it uh, will, it it is right now, or or it will in some way, shape, or form in your life, and mine, and the people you love, we find comfort and hope and direction from our God who suffered, who asked why, but eventually used his scars to explain a better story. To explain a better story. And here's what I would say for us in this, as we wade into this journey, as you and I are wrestling with God through pain and suffering. When you remember Jesus' story, when you remember his story of suffering and death and overcoming and the scars that eventually explained the better story of his death, for us. When you remember Jesus' story, you can be more patient with yours. Right? When I remember the story of the one I follow, whose scars eventually explained a better story, but whose scars show that he can identify with every pain and every trouble and every sorrow and every loss, you and I can be patient with our story that's not finished yet, even when It includes pain, suffering, loss, and tragedy. And so where do we go from here? Well, we wrestle, but the good news is you don't have to wrestle alone. We are a community of faith. And whether you're new or new-ish, whether you're a passionate, committed believer, or you're not sure what you think, or you're just totally checking this out for the first time. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you have lots of questions. Maybe this question of why would a good God allow suffering was the thing that kept you from even pursuing faith, or maybe it's what made you get off the train a long time ago. 
Or maybe even you still just, you're a believer, you're close to God, but there's a little pain in your heart, that little part of you that says, I can't go there. Or when someone says, oh, let's pray about it, you have a pang of like, oh, what's the point, right? Wherever we are all at, we are in this together. We get to wrestle together. And here's just a couple of practical things that you can do to continue on your journey and wrestling with the reality of when these things happen in our lives. One is just come back. Come back for the next few weeks and go through this journey. Maybe there's people you know who need to hear this too, and you can forward them this message and invite them to come with you. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about like, God is in control, isn't he? <laughs> That's something we say often, right? When we're going through hard things or we say it to each other, oh, don't worry, God is in control. But does that make us feel good? And what does that even mean? And is that even true? We're going to get into that next week. So I just encourage you to come back. And if you're missing a couple weeks, listen to the podcast. Be in your home groups as we're talking through these things together. Secondly, start reading scripture. As I said to you, in a few minutes, you're going to hear uh, about how you can do that, how you can get on the Bible app and start reading in our Bible reading plan. A new one starts. Some of you have been reading through the last year with us. Um, it's something we try to do as a community. How do we read the Bible together? Um, and, and you can do that in a number of ways through various devices. And we do that online through a plan together. We're starting in the wisdom books starting this week, I think starting tomorrow. And so you'll find out more about how you can do that to continue to be wrestling on the journey with honest people like the teacher from Ecclesiastes. And then this Friday, uh, to kick off Thanksgiving weekend, we have an encounter worship night. It's a night to worship together, to, yes, be thankful and express praise to God, but also to be honest. And we're going to even have a section of that night of like, how do we worship in the midst of pain and suffering, in the middle of the storm? How do we be authentic and still give praise to God that we're trusting in and looking to, even when we don't see him working on our behalf. What does that even look like? And so I'd invite you to come to that. Those are just three ways that you can begin to wrestle as a community together with God through pain and through suffering. As we end our service here today, it's so appropriate to be able to celebrate um, the, the, the gift <laughs> of the life of our Lord who died for us, who suffered like us in every way and yet overcame. And the communion table or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, the host, whatever you call it, is this visual reminder of not just Jesus' death for us, but remember even today that he suffered like us, <laughs> that he understands and is very familiar with grief and loss and pain and suffering, that we have a God who is scarred and who invites us to come to him to find comfort and hope and direction.